What is Banking in the Box? Banking in the Box is a program that was actually attached to Recaption Recovery. <clears throat> the Recaption Recovery program, let's start there so you'll get the whole thesis behind um, this concept. Recaption Recovery was a joint venture by Diversity Holdings and the Small Business Administration back in 2006. 2006, at that particular time, I served as Senior Loan Officer for Thornburg Mortgage. Thornburg Mortgage literally launched a program that was called PAL, P-A-L, which stands for Pledged Asset Lending. Okay, under Pledged Asset Lending, uh, it was discovered in the early days of of the real estate boom that there should be contingency programs put in place for all entities to be able to uh, utilize asset-based securities in direct correlation with debt securitization. So you actually have two concepts going along simultaneously. You have debt securitization and you also have asset securitization, which has its fundamental roots in um, what we call a basic accounting concept. Um, there are 11 important principles, but the one that actually really took root in the uh, arena of real estate was actually called the entity concept. The entity concept simply means that assets <clears throat> equal liabilities plus equity. Now, the liabilities and equity portion of the accounting concept is based upon um, following generally accepted accounting principles that are governed under the Financial Accounting Standard Board. Uh, now, when you're dealing with commerce, <clears throat> you have to literally be in compliance in both spaces. Now, on the pledge asset lending, uh, I noticed that the underwriting provisions allowed general and tangible assets to be used as a form of securitization. And generally tangible assets versus what most are familiar with in terms of what we call hard assets um, creates an umbrella and a level of immunity for all participants to be able to utilize their accounting ledgers in a way which will literally create a mechanism for substantiation for true hedging. And hedging accounting is what actually is taking place. For example, when a contract is put into play, that contract itself is treated as a general intangible asset. Why? Because the general intangible asset was given a numerical and economic and commercial value based upon the substantiation of accounting. Now, we watched as... Various different mortgage bankers and brokers were scrambling at that particular time to provide adequate prospectuses in order for them to launch their products, such as securities, uh, shares, if you will, in a particular investment, where the risk was spread out among a pool of investors. And these pool of investors will pool their assets together to actually provide a component where a participant who was investing directly in the pool could enjoy a dividends reinvestment plan. So pledge asset lending made way and seg- a segue um, to preserving the integrity of the actual commercial paper that was being created. So in the pledge asset lending, uh, I'll give you an example. A lot of people are familiar with Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. 
And of course, these are the mortgage-backed security entities that are under a liaison that is titled under the United States uh, Department of House and Urban Development. <clears throat> um, you have those of you that are in the mortgage space understand what FHA loans are, um, VA loans, things of that sort. So they were heavily guarded and governed under that particular structure. So pledge asset lending allowed these institutions to create what they call not notional pooling or in other words cash pooling where all these assets were actually pooled and tagged given specific QCIP numbers and provisions and, and allocations in order for them to preserve the integrity of the investment but the dividends and reinvestment plan ensured it gave a level a, a different level of assurance that as long as the actual promissory notes were being obligated timely between usually the first and the 15th of each month um, there was a yield plan that allowed for a participant to make his or her obligation in that, you know, liquidation schedule. Um, and then as a result of it, caps and dividends were awarded to the, the participants. So those participants actually made money by simply obligating or taking care of what we would call public obligations. And it became a public obligation for two reasons. One, when you're dealing with United States notes, or United States dollars. In the money supply chain, you have what they call M1, M2, M3 uh, classifications. Now, under asset securitization, M2 and M3 assets were given the immunity under Article 9 of the Uniform Commercial Code, which simply meant that if you had an Article 9 security interest in the actual promissory note or and or contract, that was you know presented then one could enjoy a dividends reinvestment plan under those same provisions so you actually had commercial mortgages that were actually done uh, and then also there was a dividends reinvestment plan that allowed them to enjoy caps and dividends that would usually range between three to five times the actual participant level so let me give you an example <clears throat> uh, an entity that actually had a mortgage of a million dollars Let's say they were paying like, uh, we'll say, $4,000 a month for a particular term set by the facilitator. Okay, so remember these companies would require that these payments be made between the 1st and the 15th. Because the mortgage-backed security component under pledge asset lending allowed on the 16th of each month for the dividends to be reimbursed back to the investor. So in terms... The simple component of creating a scenario where payments and terms were uh, put into an animalization component um, coupled with a few special provisions and uh, strategic schedules governed by that particular agency, they were allowed to enjoy a, a passive income. The whole thesis behind you know, real estate, flipping of real estate, things of that sort, all got its roots from debt securitization in conjunction with asset securitization. Um, now, um, banking in the box, the banking in the box program is the new rollout of an already existing recapture recovery program because the program does two things. It brings it to fruition an ability for an entity such as a real estate investment trust to enjoy the dividends reinvestment plan by actually borrowing money from their very own uh, private 
banking line of credit. The pledge asset lending will literally take the real estate and literally create terms and conditions around it, create a payment schedule, which is an AR, accounts receivable. The accounts receivable is now treated uh, under a different light versus most accounts receivables are based upon performance. Okay, so, and that's true all the way across the board. So when that AR is engaged and is performing, then the dividends reinvestment plan became the assurance to continue to keep this paper in a positive limelight under uh, the commercial um, guidelines. Heavily guarded by generally accepted accounting principles and the Financial Accounting Standard Board. Now, of course, when you're dealing in, in the world of investments and commerce, commerce isn't just domestic, it's international. So the international component of what we were doing at that particular time paved way for an entity that a lot of folks are very unfamiliar with, which is called Ginny Mae. Now, remember, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae had its heyday during the real estate bubble. And a lot of those assets were then placed on a contingency program within the Ginny Mae structure, where at that particular time, when I was actually a senior loan officer with Thornburg Mortgage, uh, PAL clients became institutional investors under Ginny Mae. And so Ginny Mae literally pulled those the clients uh, into an, a notional pooling component, which allowed them to enjoy positive cash flow. So the banking in the box brings that same um, program, which is tried and true, which means properly a, a trust is properly administered in this particular focal point and understanding the rules that are written in these prospectuses can enjoy that passive income. Um, we couple that with a couple strategic components such as um, we, we've tagged this as an, what we call an 8302 return. It's a lender borrower third party tax return, which allows all paper that becomes a component where it's, you know, before it gets into foreclosure or, or what we will call a default mechanism, um, an 8302 return filed by the trustee or custodian um, literally was able to recoup and recapture. That's where you get the term recapture recovery. Uh, recoup and recapture those uh, principal and interest payments um, through a tax return that was actually coupled with a, yes, a UCC, which means, which stands for Uniform Commercial Code Financing Statement. I want you to think about this. Those, a lot of people say, well, Bezel, you know, I never heard of actually doing a tax return with a Uniform Commercial Code Financing Statement. I have to remind individuals that in our accounting space, you have to understand that all of the information that you're turning into what we call the internal revenue service, uh, whether it's a 1040 or 1041 form, actually becomes, well, let me say it this way. What do you think the information that you're giving the internal revenue service, where is it being placed? Just in cyberspace? It's actually being placed on a accounting ledger. Let's remember the formula. Assets equal liabilities and equity so if you are properly demonstrating through your accounting component those things then you're allowed to utilize a pledge asset lending structure to hedge so the banking in the box brings all of what i just explained directly to the trustee and client based um now again we've been dealing with mortgage-backed securities now since 2006 2009 was when everything got fortified um and even though freddie mac and fannie mae have been given a lot of bad press 
Jeannie Mays have remained to be the standard in the integrity space or the opportunity zone. So inside of this opportunity zone, individuals who can either demonstrate holding an asset in equivalent of a million dollars that is not real estate and or may demonstrate an ability to demonstrate through um, accounting that they are taking in um, on a yearly basis, at least for the last three years, uh, a net of two hundred fifty thousand, and that two hundred fifty thousand is actually a standard. That's where the federal uh, depository insurance companies or or FDIC insurance came into fruition to be able to provide that same standard of protection against those that were not accredited investors. Um, you're able to take that same L- line of credit, what we call LOC, um, and utilize that in a forward progression. In other words, you're able to hedge. Your, your obligations, you know, and we can go into a lot of other different components that make it up because, see, you know, remember, we're now dealing in the age of fintech. Fintech stands for financial technologies. The financial technologies have brought blockchain, Bitcoin and various different components, not to mention, um, you know, f- you know, not 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 some um, not to leave out also the ability to utilize what we call zero balanced accounts which are coupled with what's being done on the the accounting ledger. So one could simply hedge against potential credit losses by demonstrating their ability to have performing paper on solid accounts receivables. And this is what the basis and the foundation of banking in the box is. So in conjunction with the banking in the box, velocity banking accelerates the actual obligation. Therefore, a 30-year mortgage can actually be taken care of in as little as three years uh, if you apply all the strategies that are available. And we can go into those details a little bit later. We just ask that those of you that are actually listening to this particular uh, segment of trustee training, uh, reach out to the individual that have plugged you into this particular segment because on the opposite side of that are willing agents, participants, um, you have direct access to our financial consortium, which is, which is in both spaces. You know, we represent the private sector, but we do have public entities that have tried and true and been around since the, since the test of time dealing in this particular space. We deal in permanent industry, so loans is a, is a permanent industry. Uh, securities is a, is a permanent industry. Um, of course, mortgages, real estate, permanent industries. It's been around for over 500 years. So they have a pride and true proven track record. It's just the ability to, to harvest the creativity and um, innovativeness of what we learned way back then was uh, home ownership through share ownership, which was a, fur- a fortified system that allowed a participant to become a fully accredited institutional investor enjoying all the immunities uh, by utilizing and minimizing liabilities and equity in a way where it can be used and viewed as a general intangible asset general intangible assets unlike cash and a lot of people don't know this cash is a non-gap item meaning that cash accounts uh can have an abnormal balance, meaning that, okay, you may have a checking account where you receive a certain level of deposit, so let's say $1,000, but you ended up in the course of business maybe uh, uh, implementing, you know, purchases, payments, things of that sort that exceeded the initial balance. Uh, so the institution honors those, but then you actually owe 
you you, you have to now re uh, reimburse the actual account. So think about it as how many of you guys have actually heard of overdraft protection. So think about banking in a box is giving you overdraft protection by utilizing a zero balanced account because you are actually implementing the new accounting standard, which is CECL. And CECL stands for Current Expected Credit Losses. The current expected credit losses become allowances by the trustees to be able to minimize their tax liability. If you're operating in a trust capacity uh, under a real estate investment trust, you can utilize a real estate um, a real estate mortgage investment conduit, which we call a remic or remic or remic. Um, to be able to fully engage into share ownership or what we call home ownership through share ownership. So in other words, an individual makes their mortgage payment and receives five times that payment back as positive income. Just think about it. There is no reason why a properly administered real estate investment trust will ever have to uh, endure the pain of dealing with non-performing obligations such as foreclosures because the payments have not been received in a timely fashion. Um, There's a lot of leveraging here. And again, leveraging is is the springboard from what we call hedging. So it converts the present accounting ledger to a true hedging account. Um, and, and when you're dealing with hedging accounting, hedging accounting lets you offset those public obligations. And again, um, there's a lot of other pieces that go with this, but this particular segment is strictly for the banking in the box. There are four levels. You have bronze, you have silver, you have gold and plat- and, and, and a platinum program. Of course, the initial deposit for bronze is about five thousand in United States dollars and or generally interchangeable assets in the form of again pledge asset lending. So there's a pledge that's made, that pledge is monetized, that monetization then allows the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars minimally to be used uh, directly by the trustee for public obligations. The public obligations are based upon the contractual agreements that are endorsed and properly administered by the trustee. The 8302 return gives you an ability to immediately uh, cancel the debt, the public obligation. Uh, you will use you know, various different aspects, like I'll give you one that the Internal Revenue Service um, allows us to use, which is called a 1099-C. It's a cancellation of debt. Um, and again, a lot of folks don't realize that even if they're going to a bankruptcy or a foreclosure proceeding, what you're actually hiring that trustee to do with administering over that particular segment or of your estate is that you are actually paying a contract that ultimately ends up being placed into a 1099-C component to offset and discharge those obligations. But there's various different types of bankruptcies. You'll notice that the general public usually utilize what they call a Chapter 13. Uh, In business, they utilize either a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 11. Again, very different from a Chapter 13. Um, now, again, if they're offering this in the public, there has to be a direct re, uh, resonation in the private sector. So the private sector utilizes leverage through an 8302 return. And the 8302 is simply saying that the return amount is going to exceed or be equivalent to a $1 million. Now, again, an accredited investor is already in that space because he or she controls a million dollar asset that isn't real estate. Or if they actually have real estate that's over a million dollars, they actually can demonstrate through um, their accounting ledger their ability to be consistent because they have netted 250K for three years consecutive. So these things all kind of go together. So we simply ask that everyone just basically 
take a moment, examine, research the information that you're hearing in this particular segment, reach out to the individual or and or trustee that actually referred you to this information so we can definitely move forward. Because remember, here at Diversity Holdings, Apex Capital, in conjunction with Amani Family Capital Trust, will be the turning point in your financial situation. Thank you. God bless. Peace and love. Peace and love, family.